This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Hello and welcome to Doing It. My name is Anne. I work for Family Planning Victoria as part of the schools and community team. We go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction and relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so that we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. Today I'm going to talk with Holly Ann Martin. Holly Ann is the Managing Director of Safe for Kids. This is a business based in Perth which grew out of Holly Ann's realisation that students she was working with as a teacher's aide were at high risk of abuse. A program was developed with strategies to keep children safe. Holly Ann describes on her website that her program provides child abuse prevention education. Safe for Kids is based in Perth and Holly Ann also travels extensively to work in remote Aboriginal communities in Western Australia and the Northern Territory. Holly Ann delivers classes to children, professional development to teachers and information for parents and carers. I'm very much looking forward to speaking with Holly Ann Martin. This interview was recorded over a web-based recording app. Holly Ann's recording sound quality isn't fantastic, but it's really worth it. Okay, so recording now. Uh, so thank you, Holly Ann, for talking to me. I understand you've been travelling for work. Where have you been over the last few weeks? Um, well, over the last couple of weeks, I did two weeks in the Kimberley, then a week in the Northern Territory, and then last week I was back up in the Kimberley. Um, I teach a child abuse prevention program. Um, so quite a bit of my work is in remote communities, but I teach all over Australia. Right. So you've been to the Kimberley just last week. <laughs> yes, that was a, um, it was supposed to be for work, but it fell through. Unfortunately, the 7.30 report was going to do a story on us, but um, there was a death in the community. So, right. So everything um, holds up for that. Yeah, the work didn't actually take yeah, place, unfortunately. Okay. Um, in yes. the introduction video on your website, you talk about the rates of child abuse in Australia. This has really clearly fueled your work in this field. What do we know about how often child sex abuse happens? Well, what we do know is you know, up to a third of Australia's children will suffer some form of sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. But what we don't know the true extent of and, and what nobody's talking about is they believe that about 45% of child sexual abuse is um, child to child. Um, but a lot mm. of that's not being reported because, um, well, we don't have a record of it because children are under the age of 10, so therefore it's not a police matter. In some instances, schools aren't um, dealing with that appropriately. And, and many, I have calls from parents who tell me their stories mm. and, you know, that they report it to the school that their child was touched in the toilets and principals are either saying, oh, that couldn't possibly happen because we supervise the children too well or, oh, that's normal behaviour of children for that age. And, you know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine is totally normal. But what they're reporting to me is happening is either digital penetration or oral sex and that's not normal for, you know, children of that age. Or they're just not dealing with it at all. So we don't know the true extent um, of that. And no. so if it's 45% are either children or teenagers on children, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's very hard to, to gauge what the extent of the problem really is. Um, so it is really hard to know the full extent, but it's definitely something you're seeing in communities that you're being reported child on child abuse and know about um, adult perpetrators of sexual abuse as well. Yeah, right across Australia. 
Um, it just so happens I work in a lot of remote communities just because of word of mouth. But, um, you know, it is still happening in mainstream um, Australia. And, you know, most states have an abuse prevention program that's supposed to be taught in schools. But many teachers find it hard to say penis and vagina. So teachers will teach what they feel comfortable with. Um, and in my experience, um, you know, they'll do, you know, the basic protective behaviours. So talk about a network and early warning signs and feelings. But, you know, I say if you're not talking about pornography and child-to-child sexual abuse, then you're really not doing protective education because those two things are really impacting on children nowadays. Mm. So can you explain what protective behaviours are and at what age they should be taught? So I believe that we need to start teaching protective behaviours or I call it protective education now because protective behaviours came to Australia in the late um, 80s in the place of stranger danger because only 4% of child sexual abuse is by a stranger. Um, but I now call it protective education because, you know, I've included cyber safety and, and lots of other elements to the program. But it's basically um, it has two things. We all have the right to feel safe all of the time and we can talk to someone about anything. And then we um, give strategies to the children, like setting up a, um, some people might call it a network, but again, I've changed it to a, I call it a safety team of five adults that children can talk to about anything. Um, we teach them about their early warning signs, which is your body's way of telling you that you feel unsafe. It's our fight, flight, freeze or faint response that all animals have. Um, and there's lots of other elements to the program, like, um, you know, the importance of teaching children about, their, you know, giving their um, emotional vocabulary, um, talking about safe and unsafe secrets, safe and unsafe touching, um, public and private, and the importance, you know, the really important thing is that all adults use the correct anatomical names for private parts. Um, that alone can be a protective factor for children if they know the correct terminology. And a context to be able to talk about it in. On your website, you've got some testimonials from teachers about how valuable the program is and what they see students um, doing and parts of the program that they're using. Uh, can you give an example of the effect your program has on a community? Well, we say that we've got to start this at three at the latest, and I've written a curriculum um, for childcare centres to start this program. So an eight, so an eighteen-year-old educator can deliver it to to three-year-olds. But in a community, um, I've been running my program in one particular community in the Northern Territory, um, and I work with all ages. And last year, um, this is a pretty a major one. Um, I was in America at a conference, and I get an email from a principal to say that to um, 12 and 13 year olds had come forward to say that they were being sexually abused and she was begging me when Holly I need you back in my community when can you come so I, I go straight back once I hit the dirt here in Australia I reach back over to this community four more girls come forward two men were charged with giving young Aboriginal women marijuana for sex um, and the police have openly said that this is a direct result of my program because when the police are interviewing these young girls, they're saying, oh, because Miss Holly said this and Miss Holly said this and Miss mm. Holly said this. So, um, so prior to that, they just didn't have the language or the um, capacity to basically. report. Yes. And wow. But the fact, the way that we work, you know, the way that I work is it has to be a whole of community approach. So, you know, as well as working with the children, I train the teachers to continue the program once I leave. But I work with, um, in remote communities, I run a men's workshop and a women's workshop separately because culturally that's what's appropriate there. Um, but I also do workshops for police, health, childcare centres, 
um, all the NGOs and anybody that's got anything to do with children in the community. So it's a whole of community approach because everybody needs to know what to do if a child comes to them and discloses. Um, how, do, how do you receive that disclosure? And that's a real art, to be honest, because, you know, most agencies have to do a mandatory reporting component of their training. But in my experience, nobody actually gives anybody a script of what to say. So, you know, I even with parents, you know, the greatest fear for a parent must be, what if my child told me, you know, something was happening? So the script that I give people is to say, you have to stay calm. Inside, you're going to be freaking out. But even if you go, ah! you'll stop a child from telling you. So what we have to say is, I'm glad you told me. I believe you. It's not your fault. And we're going to do something about it. Those four things need to come out of your mouth when a child comes and discloses, you know, and realistically for parents, it may not be their child telling them. It may be their child's best friend telling them because children, you know, to protect their parents, children don't often disclose to a parent. They're more likely to disclose to a teacher or another trusted adult, mm. you know, somebody else from one on their yeah, safety Yeah, it's a tr- tricky area. So, you know, it's important that everybody knows. Um, apart yeah. from all your travel that you do, are there particular challenges when working in remote communities or remote, remote Indigenous communities? <laughs> to be honest, I it's really strange. Um, you know, lots of, um, because I work with Aboriginal men and lots of white people say, oh, you can't talk to Aboriginal men about that. That's not culturally appropriate. But the men don't feel like that. And I actually, um, I've, I've run, now run 50 workshops with solely Aboriginal men. And they say, Holly, we like you because you tell us straight away. So, and and I have more turn up in a remote community than I added to a free parent talk than I do in a middle class suburban area around Australia. Um, and, you know, it really, parents not coming to free talks really um, is the hardest part of my job because, you know, parents think I'm a good parent. It's never going to happen to my child. And it's not about being a, a good parent. You know, people that prey on children go for vulnerable children and available children. And it can be, and any child online is both. So it's really important that, um, you know, parents come along to, to talks and, and upskill themselves because, um, you know, I would, I, I'm not a parent. Um, I don't have children of my own, but I have lots of nieces and nephews and and great nieces and nephews. But I would not want to be a parent in this day and age because, you know, the internet has added a whole nother layer of complexity. But unfortunately, parents, you know, parents don't realise, for instance, how much pornography is on YouTube. Now, YouTube is such a huge babysitter um, and there is so much pornography on there. And... um, Yes, really is. From as early as someone can spell, they can uh, access pornography. Well, they don't even need to go looking for it. Um, Mm. But also, you know, even YouTube for kids is not 100% safe, but I was in a remote community recently and TikTok's the latest thing that most children are on. And um, um, a mother and grandmother were saying, oh, Holly, you know, I wouldn't let my kids go on Facebook or Instagram, but I let them go on TikTok. And yet that's... um, TikTok has been used so heavily for grooming children. Um, there are videos, so it's a live streaming app that used, used to be called Musical.ly. And there are, you know, videos on there of young women cutting themselves and people are, you know, grooming children saying, send me naked mm-hmm. pictures and, and things like that. So um, parents just don't realise any of this stuff. And yet if they don't come to a workshop, they can't learn about it. Yeah. And, yeah, without realising the dangers of it. Exactly. Um, you have written some resources, including books um, about this subject. So one of your titles is Someone Should Have Told Me, which is about pornography and online grooming. How do you see these books being used by teachers or by families? 
so I've written five children's books in total. Four of them are social stories. And so I've written one specifically about pornography. But the, the book that you're referring to is quite different. It has one sentence, whereas all the other ones are very wordy. But I've I've picked out lots of different um, cyber issues. So the first picture is, I wish somebody had told me not to type private words into the computer. And the picture of a child sitting in front of a, you know, a computer, he's typed in bum. And there's lots of pictures of bottoms, for instance. There's a picture of a potato in the shape of a bottom. But in the back of the book, I've got all this information for parents about, you know, remember back to when you were a child and, you know, you looked up sex in a dictionary and you just read the words. If children type in those sorts of things, um, mm. they type sex into a computer nowadays, they're going to be really, you know, seeing some really terrible stuff. Yeah, access quite some diff- quite yeah. different stuff. And so each page is what I'm hoping is that I don't want parents just to read the book right from beginning to end what I want them to do is use a page a night to open up a conversation with children about that on, on the next page is I wish somebody had told me not to talk to people on the internet even if they look nice and there's a picture of a child who thinks he's talking to another child but on the next page he's actually talking to the big bad wolf my brief to my artist was I want to channel Raoul Dahl. So I was trying to be, you know, ironic. And, um, but they're just beautiful pictures that, you know, I want to help adults have that conversation in an easy mm. way. Mm. Of- and the more tools they have to do that, the easier yeah. it becomes. Yeah. So in the back of the book I've got all – so for each page there's all this information and, and questions to ask specifically about that. But two of the most um, – confronting pictures I suppose you could could call it there's a picture of a a naked child bouncing on a bed with wearing a superman cape and there's a man taking his picture and the caption is I wish somebody had told me not to let people take private pictures of me but I that one was for grooming so in the back of the book I've got all this information how this guy would have said oh you look so cute in your superman outfit let me take your picture and then he says to the child I know what would be really funny how about you bounce on the bed and the child says oh I'm not allowed to bounce on the bed no, go on, bounce on the bed. So they get the child caught in the unsafe secret. And then he says, I know it would be really, really funny. How about we take a naked shot? Because I'm, you know, I can't find any books really that are designed to help parents talk to children about grooming. And so I just wanted to, you know, help adults have yeah. that conversation because it's not easy. And in my experience, but- children know what they're supposed to do, but they don't really know why. So what you're doing yeah. is sort of spelling out the why. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And so, um, you know, with one simple picture, it, it invokes, I'm hoping, a big conversation. And then on the next page, there's a picture of a child, again, naked, but you can just see their cute little bum sort of thing. Um, and they're taking a, a pic, they've got an iPad and they're taking a naked picture of themselves because according to the federal police, children as young as four are taking, you know, nude pictures of themselves, usually, in my experience, um, because they're having older siblings, um they're modelling from older siblings. I was at a school when I and I when I'm talking to children under ten, I don't call it pornography. I call it private pictures or private movies. And when I was in a school, I had a, a five year old. When I said, "Where might children see private pictures or private movies?" A five year old put up a hand and said, "Snapchat." And I said, "Sweetie, you're five. How do you know about Snapchat?" Or because my fourteen year old sister's using it. So obviously, her sister was using it for sending nudes because you know she knew that. And so you know, I wanted again. I wanted to help adults have those conversations and and then right at the end of the book it talks about you know what you do if you do see pornography um and to give adults some some language around that because children are telling me that they're having flashbacks and nightmares from what they're seeing and having this real and knowing they're not meant to be seeing it so they can't 
then go and talk about it with a grown-up. Exactly. And and one of the big things that I try and get across to all parents in my workshops is please don't use technology as a punishment because sometimes parents go, clean your room or I'll take your iPad away or stop fighting with your sister or I'll take your iPad away. If children see pornography, they're not going to tell a parent because the parent has already modelled that they're going to take it away from them. And so, you know, we didn't grow up with the internet. So we adults think of the internet and the real world as two different places. But children have never known a world without the internet. So if you say you'll take the iPad away from them, you may as well, you know, offer to cut off their left arm. Yes. (laughs) So to use technology as a punishment is not... Um, um, Not ideal. Yeah, I agree. Um, You've created a lot of video resources on your YouTube channel, uh, which you show explaining parts of your program, so sort of tutorials for parts of your program. And there's also work you've created with school communities, uh, which I love and we've used a little bit in, in classes as well. Can you tell me about the music video Consent by the Impana Kids? Amampa. Amampa, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Um, oh, I'm so thrilled to be part of this project. Um, I was at a school last year and a principal um was so overwhelmed with seeing the program and just had an epiphany almost. And there was a group called Muso Magic who were going into remote communities making songs with the children. And so he hooked us up together. And um, so basically I go in and teach my program and then um, we work together and the children write their own songs. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll name the topic. So with the consent one, we sat down with the children and, you know, sort of brainstormed what consent looks like and things like that um and um one of the i'm really passionate about explicitly teaching consent because um when i'm working with 14 year old young men in high school um they admit to me of watching two hours a week of pornography and when i say to them why would you look at that and they say oh to learn technique is to learn style and then I say, let me stop you right there. <laughs> there's no technique and there's, that's not the right style, but there's no consent, there's no foreplay, there's no kissing. So um, I love all of the songs, but the consent one has a really special place in my heart because um, I think it's, you know, it's such a huge topic and we need to we need to model consent. So the beauty with that song also is um, in that particular community, there are two schools. There was a primary school and a high school. So we got to work with both sets of children to make the, the video. And um, They're just beautiful. It's so beautiful to see see the, the country and uh, the people in the country and talking about that really positive message of consent and being really positive about it. It's really lovely. And, you know, it's really catchy and all the songs are catchy. In fact, in two weeks I'm heading out to another community and we're going to be making a song about early warning signs and my brief to the um, the guys that do the music is I wanted to channel um, almost like Jaws, you know, how it starts off, and then it builds to a crescendo. And so the idea is, um, you know, to have the music model that, but then the children will write the words. So um, it's going to be a very exciting project. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, fantastic. Just finally, um, What's your advice? Parents and carers often find it really difficult to be explicit around discussions and uh, about child safety. What's your advice for parents and carers to engage young people in the, those sort of discussions? To start right now, no matter what age, because, you know, I say, you know, we need to start protective education by three at the latest and we need to start having the conversation about pornography at six at the latest. And when I say that, parents are horrified. Um, but it's simple as saying, if you see naked pictures, if you see pictures of moves with people with no clothes on 
come and tell mummy come and go and tell dad we won't go off our brains but we need to we need to know what you've seen basically because like I said they're having nightmares and things but if people are finding you know it difficult with teenagers in the car is always the best place to have these conversations because they're trapped no but, eye contact <laughs> that's right but you know finding children's books to, to help those conversations. I mean, I've written five, but there's some other fantastic um, books. A friend of mine, Jay Saunders from Victoria, has actually written, you know, lots and lots of, of great books to help parents as well. And, and um, So there are things available. Honest, yeah. My favourite book ever um, on this subject, and I wish I had written this one, it's called Everyone's Got a Bottom. I'm sure you know it very well. Um, but, you know, finding resources to, to kickstart the, um, you know, the conversation or, you know, things on the news, those teachable moments are far more valuable than sitting down and saying, oh, we're going to have a talk about the birds and the bees or whatever. Those teachable moments when you hear things on the radio or you see something in home and away or, you know, be brave and have the conversation. And the second theme is um, of protective education is we can talk to someone about anything and we need to model that. And if you get all embarrassed about, you know, talking about something quite minor, then children aren't going to come and want to talk to you if their friends are, um, I had a, a parent recently say that her 15-year-old daughter was staying up all night because her best friend kept talking about taking her own life. And, you know, this mum had had such a good relationship with the daughter, she actually came to her mum and said, look, this is what's happening. It's not up to a 15-year-old to be on suicide watch for her best friend. Um, but because she, you know, she'd modelled for that child that they can, you know, they had an open relationship. Um, and that's what I want. I don't want pornography to be children's um, only form of sex education I need it any parents to be their children's google to be honest yes I think you're right I think it does take a, a type of bravery to start the discussions and be proactive um, thank you so much for talking to me Holly Ann it's been really really interesting uh, finding out about your work and look forward to seeing more of it online I'll link uh, to your website and to some of your resources in the show notes for the episode Oh, lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Super. Bye. Holly Ann does such interesting work, and I've just pulled out a few things that she said that I thought were really key. Protective behaviours, she said, should start by three years old at the latest. Talking about pornography should start at the latest at six years old. Exposure to pornography and grooming can happen to anyone, so every child needs to have some kind of protective education. For more information about Holly Ann, you can go to the Safe for Kids website, which I'll link in the episode notes. You can find an online shop here to purchase books and resources. I'll also provide a link to the Safe for Kids YouTube channel. Here you can see tutorials, testimonials and examples of the work being done in schools. Holly Ann mentioned the book, Everybody's Got a Bottom. I'll put a link to a place to purchase that also. If you're not sure what they're doing in your child's kindergarten or primary school about teaching protective behaviours, it's a really good idea to ask. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about Family Planning Victoria, you can go to fpv.org.au. We have information about our school programs on our website. Our school programs also include protective behaviours. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. You can contact Doing It directly at doingit at fpv.org.au. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you like it, tell a friend uh, or rate and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.